14. Um, it's going to kind of be like a Christmas John message. I don't know. I don't know. I was really wrestling with the Lord a lot about it. I didn't quite know what to say, where to go. You know, your mind wants to be like, well, it's Christmas time. Let's keep it on topic. And, you know, it's like you're wrestling a marlin trying to get this fish in the boat. And the Holy Spirit's like, just go over there and read John. Just read John. I'm like, all right, I'll go read John. So I got an idea out of there, and I kind of, you know, will work some Christmas applications into it, you know. But um, um, I was, uh, I'll talk about peace a little bit today. And uh, we're in John 14. We're down by verse 25 to 27. We're going to read those in a second. But you've heard of probably Ju- uh, General Douglas MacArthur, uh, one of our generals, especially during the Second World War. And uh, General Douglas MacArthur said once that men since the beginning of time have sought peace. Military alliances, balances of power, leagues of nations all in turn failed leaving the only path to be by the way of the crucible of war. The utter destructiveness of war now blots out this alternative, meaning peace. And I can remember even my dad being a sick man, you know, sitting up at night just going, I just want peace, I just want peace. I mean, that's what a lot of people are after today. And in a world that's gripped by war, whether it's a war within or a war without, peace is at an all-time premium the need for rest, the need for escape and freedom from agitation, oh, for peace. If I could market a pill or a program that promised people peace, I would be a billionaire. And when the Antichrist arrives on the scene in just a few minutes, (laughs) the Bible says he shall enter peaceably. That's how he'll seduce people, promising them peace. And before Jesus Christ returns to destroy that Antichrist, the Bible says that the world will be saying, peace and safety, peace and safety, peace and safety. And then sudden destruction will come upon them. Now look at John chapter 14, verse 25. Because here in the upper room, as Jesus Christ is getting ready to say goodbye, Jesus Christ promises that he would leave his disciples peace. 25, these things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be Afraid. Wow. Isn't that a beautiful promise to his disciples? If you claim to be a disciple, that promise is for you. Peace. He wants to leave you peace. Freedom from disturbance. Freedom from fear. Freedom from terror. Freedom even from anxiety. Tranquility. Calm. Rest. Peace. In fact, we get this verse all the time this time of year. Isaiah 9, 6 is probably on somebody's Christmas card. It says one of the names they would call Jesus Christ would be, quote, the Prince of Peace, the leader of peace, the commander of peace, the sovereign Lord of peace. He'd be in charge of peace. The Lord wants to give you peace. He wants to give you rest. That's why he came. My son read some of those verses. Those angels claimed on that night Jesus was born. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And our God is called the, quote, God of peace, five times in the Bible. One time he's called the Lord of peace in 2 Thessalonians 3.16. And 1 Corinthians 14 says, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Peace, as in all churches of the saints. God wants there to be some peace in here today. God wants there to be some peace in you today. Even though the world may be going mad and on fire, there could be peace in your soul. General MacArthur is one of the greatest commanders in our nation's history. But you know what he did? He led us into war. 
Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. He wants to lead his disciples into rest, into peace. So I want to talk today about the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. And I want to challenge you today, like a good leader, are you following the Prince of Peace? The Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Lord, we love you today. We thank you today. We just pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, that you might just get some glory out of this, Father. It's, to me, Lord, it just seems all over the place, but, Lord, it's, it's what you gave me, so I pray you take these loaves and fishes and just take this basket and, Lord, multiply it to feed your people. And if someone, Lord, doesn't know the Prince of Peace and maybe there's a, a war going on inside them, Father, I pray you'd speak peace to their soul. Show them their need of salvation, Lord. I pray they'd make peace with you today through the blood of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So go to Isaiah chapter 57. We flip around a bunch of verses here, and you're welcome to flip with us or just listen or flip out. I don't know, but one of those things you could do. Isaiah 57. I'm going to say a few things about how Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace and kind of just play on this military analogy here that he is our leader, he's our commander, he's our, our Lord of Peace, our Prince of Peace. I want to say, number one, and maybe most importantly, that Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the Prince of Peace because he declared a ceasefire between you and God. You got that? I'll say that again. He is the Prince of Peace, the Commander of Peace, the Leader of Peace, the Sovereign, if you will, of Peace, because he declared and made possible a ceasefire between you and a holy God. Right? Isaiah 57, verse 19. God's speaking, and he says, I create the fruit of the lips. Peace. Peace to him that is far off and to him that is near. So God wants to bring his peace to everybody. Jew, Gentile, everybody. Saith the Lord. And I will heal him, but the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Now, that's a description of people before meeting Jesus Christ as Savior, before being born again, before calling upon the name of the Lord, before having their sins forgiven. I don't know where you are, if you're a before or an after Christ. <laughs> if you're before Christ, that's you. If you're after Christ, hopefully there's a little bit of calm inside you. Because the Bible says right there, before you were saved, before you took Jesus Christ as your Savior, you had no peace. You had some buzzes. You had some happiness. You had some fleeting moments of temporary joy. But when that all, when the party died down and the lights came back on and the, and the high wore away, you know what you were left with the fact that you're staring at a porcelain bowl or you're staring at yourself in the mirror and you're asking yourself, is this all there is? Is this all there is? And that lack of peace because you were at war with a holy God didn't realize it. You weren't just a non-Christian. You weren't just a non-believer. The Bible says, and I say it carefully, but truthfully, you were an enemy of God. You were an enemy of righteousness. The Bible says you were a child of disobedience. You know, the Bible says that people don't have peace largely. I'm just making a blanket statement. I know there's exceptions, which I'm sure you're going to fill me in with later. But the Bible says that generally people don't have peace because, according to that verse, you're wicked. Right? You're a sinner. You're corrupt. There's something bad you've done. You're on the naughty list. <laughs> for lack of a better word. You ever see the ocean? Sometimes the waves are kicking up and you really see them. Sometimes it looks calm, but it's never still. And some people look like they got it all together, but the waves are still churning up that gunk. And sometimes the waves are billows are 12 feet high. And that's some people, but all are like that troubled sea. It's just there's no rest. Go to Psalm 38. Even David spoke about this. Psalm 38, the great prophet and King David, right? Psalm 38. David even acknowledged the lack of peace because of what? His sin. Not his dynamic tension, not his circumstances, not his upbringing, not his genetics. His sin gave him a lack of peace. Psalm 38, verse 1. 
O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. For thine arrows stick fast in me, and thine hand presseth me sore. You know when you're just done wrong, and God's just sticking you? And you just don't, it's just he's sticking you, and he's sticking you. And David's like, I know I shouldn't have done that, God. And now he's sticking me. He's sticking me. And it says right there in three, There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger. Neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. For mine iniquities are gone over mine head as in heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. Jump to 17. For I am ready to halt and my sorrow is continually before me. For I will declare mine iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin. He says, God, you got me. You got me. I know I did wrong. I know I did wrong. And he's just squeezing me now to acknowledge the fact that I've sinned against you. He said, I'll declare it. I've seen, put it down in the Bible for you to read. Everybody knows David sinned against God. That's why I'm so troubled. That's why I'm mourning. That's why I'm so broken. He was so broken up because of his sin. Had no peace because of his sin. Do you? Do you ever feel like that? We're so, we're so numb. We say, oh, David, just take a couple of these and just chill out for a while. Just go have a drink and relax, David. You're making too much of this sin thing, David. But David's broken up. David's a man after God's own heart and a man after God's own heart saying, I'm ready to halt. I'm ready to quit. God's sticking me with his arrows. All right, God, I wave the white flag. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against you. And he, he was willing to get moved by the chastening hand of God. But some of us, we, we, we challenge God to move us. I've said it a few weeks ago. I'm saying it again. We dare God to move us. We're like bricks. We're like stones. We're like rocks. We're just like, you know... I shall not be moved. I'm not going to get moved. I'm all right. I'm not going to get, I'm not responding to that invitation. I'm not getting this thing right. And that's not like David. That's not a man after God's own heart. We're too sophisticated. We're too sophisticated. And I've got letters after my name. I've read books. All right. I can read books. I go to toe to toe with you with Nietzsche or Kierkegaard. Who do you want to talk about? I could talk about them. But you know what they are? They're just men. We've sinned against the holy God, and that's a, that's a war. And that war inside of us is, the, is an outward manifestation of the fact that we've sinned against the holy God. How many people will look for peace this week in a bottle or on a screen just to get distracted? Or maybe with activity. You know, just make enough noise, keep the noise going, keep the music going, because then that silence, 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 that Holy Spirit may just knock on your heart and say, is this all there is? Is this all there is? Is this all there is? You're going to get a few days off and you're going to do it again. Is this all there is? Is this it, guys? That's the Holy Spirit's trying to tell you. Is this all there is? But we just, we'll put a screen in front of ourselves. We'll fill ourselves. We'll intoxicate ourselves. We'll keep the busyness going and the music going and bang the music. Make it louder. Make it louder. Make it louder. Because we don't want to hear that still, small voice saying, is this all there is? Is this all there is? How often now, let's put it on ourselves as Christians. You know, we do sometimes as a trap, we pacify sinners. We see them at war with God, and it's going to be okay. It's all right. And we try to pacify sinners who really just need to make things right with God. If they made things right with God, it would probably help them. But we don't want to offend them. We don't want to make things difficult with them. We want to air condition hell and cushion their fall. But sometimes they got to kind of get down deep in it like David did to finally acknowledge, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Look at Jeremiah chapter 6. God's people were guilty of this, and don't worry, I'll get to Christmas in a second. Don't get nervous. All right, Jeremiah chapter 6. Once we turn this corner like a roller coaster, it's all downhill. Jeremiah 6, look at verse 10. Jeremiah 6, verse 10. Jeremiah 6, 10. <clears throat> God says in Jeremiah 6, 10, To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? God's like, is anybody listening? <laughs> Behold, their ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot hearken. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach. They have no delight in it. Oh, man, I hope that's not us. Therefore, I am full of the fury of the Lord. I am weary with holding in. You ever have a parent that told your kids to do something ten times? 
I'm on that 11th, don't look at your kids right now, you're gonna out yourself. But on that 11th time, on that 11th time, the rocket is ready to lift off, right? You know, one, you know, 10, nine, eight, seven. You know, on that 11th time, once you count down from 10, it's like, and we have liftoff, you know? And that's what God is like here. He's like, I'm pleading with people, I'm pleading with people. And then he says, you know what? I'm angry now. And God's allowed to be angry. He says, I'm angry. He says, and upon the assembly of young men together, for even the husband with the wife shall be taken, the age with him that is full of days, and their houses shall be turned unto others, right? Those Babylonians would come in and just rip Jerusalem and Judah apart, with their fields and wives together, for I will stretch out my hand upon the inhabitants of the land, saith the Lord. For from the least of them, even unto the greatest of them, every one is given to covetousness. All right, keep going. And from the prophet, even unto the priest, everyone dealeth falsely. They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people, slightly saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. <laughs> you see, Israel had sinned against God. They needed to make, thing, make things right with God. And the religious leaders just tried to gloss it over. No, 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 it's okay. You're okay. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Right? You ever see those guys on TV? They smile with those big smiles and those $40,000 smiles with you know, those amazing caps and shiners that they got put on in the, 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 the special dentist's office and they're smiling at you, you know. I want you to say it out loud. I'm special. I'm special. I'm important. I'm important. God has got a plan for me. God has got a plan for me. And they just, you know, and now if you just send me your tithes and offerings, I will make sure that God gets that plan to you pronto. You know, Right? You know what you do when he says? You've healed the problem slightly. You told them, oh, peace, peace, when there is no peace. He says the prophets and the priests, the people that were supposed to know better, like me, have to tell people the problem is sin. And God is righteous. And God is angry with the wicked every day. And that's the problem. If we can make peace, there doesn't have to be any war anymore. You know, before, you know what religion tells you? I'll speak for myself. It tells you, it's okay. You'll be all right. Just give us your money and come back next week. I don't want your money. Please, if you're a visitor, don't put anything in the offering box. Don't. Keep it. Buy yourself some coffee on the way home and a donut, right? I don't want it, right? We just want to be a blessing to you and tell you the truth, right? Before I got saved, I'm going to speak personally. Before I became a Christian, before I got saved, I felt what David felt in Psalm 38. I felt the chastening hand of God upon me. I felt that anger. I felt this conviction. I, I know it sounds crazy. And I was on a scholarship to NYU in a scholars group. I was smart to the outward world. I was a salutatorian to the outward world. I had good SAT scores to the outward world. I'd sit there with the dean and talk about all the stuff that the deans in the scholars group were supposed to talk about. But I had these panic attacks at night, this fear of my own mortality, that if I died, I was going to hell. And I knew it. I knew it. I just knew it, and God was squeezing me and squeezing me. So what did I do? I went back to the churches and the places where I grew up. And I went back to the churches and the places that I grew up, and I would say to them with desperation in my eyes, how do I deal with this sin problem? I know I've sinned against God. How do I get rid of this sin problem? You know what they did? They laughed at me. They chuckled at me. They looked at me like the crazy 20-something, just full of his own head and full of his own ideas. And I left as desperate as I walked in. You know what I found out later? Why they didn't have any answer? Because they were lost too. They didn't know the answer either. That doesn't make me better than them. That just means I have a Bible that I think and I know was written by God. And I found the answer. And I like to tell them those answers. Because they've got no answers. But you want to see what happens in Colossians 1 in your New Testament? Because that's a scary state to be in. I never want to go back to that state. I never want to go back to that moment where I would lay my head to sleep at night and not know if I woke up, I'd be in heaven or hell. I, I, I remember that feeling as palpably as I could touch this pulpit. I remember that fright, that panic, that, that, that racing heart, that shallow breath. I remember it like it, was, like it was just yesterday. And it was because I was at war with God. I, was, I had sinned against God. And, and look at Colossians 1.21. Colossians 1.21, he says... And you, that means you, by the way, and you that were sometime or formerly alienated and enemies in your mind 
by wicked works. I mean, just look at the words God uses to describe the lost. Alienated, meaning like you've got, you're, you're just totally out of place. Enemies, that means you're in conflict. Wicked, that means you're kind of evil. I mean, we think it's just a white lie, but the Lord says all liars end up in the lake of fire. I didn't say it. God said it. We think we're just having fun. God says he'll judge adulterers and whoremongers. And I got to ask myself, why do you use such language, God? Why is sin such a big deal to God that he would use such strong words to describe us who are lost and trapped in that sin? And I thought about it yesterday, and I kind of got an answer that worked for me. Because the Lord can see all the awful things sin does. And he hates sin for it. You can't see it, but he could see it. Now, I got a son who's a recovering cancer patient. Right? You all know that. I've said it many times, so you'll forgive me if I say it again. It's my birthday tomorrow. But anyway, I never liked cancer before my son got cancer. Never liked the word. Who does? Never liked cancer. But I have grown to hate it because I've seen what cancer does. Got a different appreciation for it now because I've sat in the waiting room of Sloan Kettering. I stood outside with Pete outside the Brunswick Square Mall and watched a little girl, maybe six or seven years old, with patches of hair on the top of her head, reaching for a gospel track. And I knew why she looked like that. I've seen the amputees. I've seen the baby strollers. I've seen the carriages. I've seen all that stuff over the last few years. I've seen what cancer does. And honestly, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And the Lord hates sin the most because he knows what sin did to his son. Amen. So how bad is it? Is it just the, the, the problems and the strife and the murders and the rapes? God says, all that stuff's awful. But you know why I really hate sin? It put my son on a cross. My son had to die on a cross to put back all you broke by breaking my laws. My son had to fix. And when you see the price that was paid, then you appreciate and you count the cost. And that's why God hates sin so much. Because every time he looks at sin, he says, oh, there's a lie my son died for. There's some adultery my son was whipped for. There's some anger my son tasted death for. And we trifle with it. We trifle with it like, ah, it's just a little. And God says, it's not just a little to me. You know what? I hate cancer because of what it did to my son. I hate it wherever it's found. If it's a little bit or a lot, I hate even the specter or the shadow of it. I have a student in my class named Fiona. She's got cancer. I haven't even met her yet. You know what that makes me do? It makes me hate cancer anymore. Well, she's not your kid. I know, but I know what she's going through, and I see what it's doing to her, and I know it's ravaging. I hate cancer because of that. My son's got a former... Uh, Roommate named Alex, who's relapsed. He lives in Georgia. He's back up in New York City. Tried to have an operation. The operation didn't work. Now I'm thinking about this family going through all that. You know what? It makes me hate it even more. Makes me hate it even more. If I could abolish cancer, I would do it. If I could declare war on cancer, I'd make it my enemy. I would if I had that power. Now, do you see the parallel? Because if you're a sinner... You are at war with the holy God because God hates sin and he's declared war on anybody who's in sin. He says, you guys are on the side that murdered my son. You guys are on the side that have destroyed everything that I conceived. God says, I've declared war on sin. I've declared war on death. That means those of us who are sinners are in big trouble. We're in a dangerous predicament right now. Do you see that? Do you feel that? I don't think you do. I don't think you do. I think we're so stinking numb and we're so sophisticated with our pseudo-technology and our pseudo-intellect and our pseudo-science and our pseudo-philosophy. People out there are believing we came from a rock 20 billion years ago and they're calling themselves sophisticated. I think you're nothing better than a caveman, right? The Bible is sophisticated. The Bible is cutting edge. The Bible is so far ahead of the smartest scientist in the world. 
They're still trying to catch up with the Bible. You know? So I don't want to get on that hobby horse, but we don't feel it. You know why? Because, yeah, I saw a YouTube video about this. Yeah, I, read, I saw a website about that. We're so numb to it. God says, I'm at war with sin. You're in trouble if you're in the camp called sin. So what did God do? Verse number 20. Verse number 20 of the same chapter. He says, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Can I just say, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. That's a Merry Christmas right there. Jesus Christ declared a ceasefire between you and God. Why? He died in your place. He took it for you. Think about what Jesus did. Jesus said to his father, you're angry with them, father. I know you're angry with them, but take it out on me. Take it out on me. What a Savior's right. What a Savior's right. Praise his name is right. Because if you've ever seen the wrath of God, you wouldn't think so lightly of sin. If you ever saw the wrath of God, the Bible says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness of righteousness. When you see the sinless Son of God cry, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's the wrath of God poured out upon the holy, sinless Son of God. You know what that should make you do? Tremble a little bit. Think twice about a little bit. Appreciate salvation a little bit. That the Son of God said, you're angry with them, Father. But take it out on me. Put it on me. What Pat Mashanya deserves, put it on me. Right? What, what, what this guy deserves, what this lady deserves, put it on me. Put it on me. He said to this father, he said, I know they deserve to die, father. I know they deserve to die, but I will die for their sins so there could be peace. So you can execute your wrath, get that anger poured out, and there could be a ceasefire, and I, you could have peace with your creation again. Jesus Christ did that on the cross. You see verse 22? He did that in the body of his flesh through death. Now, Jesus Christ made that peace possible when he died on the cross. Not when he was born in the manger. I'm thankful that he was born in the manger. right? I'm glad he came. But that peace happened when he died on that cross and drank that cup of God's wrath. Listen, the birth of Jesus Christ, you know what the birth of Jesus Christ was? It was boots on the ground. That's what the birth of Jesus Christ was. It was boots on the ground. The prince had arrived. The angels celebrated. People were excited. You know, some people saw it, and that was boots on the ground. The, the, the captain was there. The, the Lord was there. The Prince of Peace had arrived. An exciting day. But the death of Christ was mission accomplished. <laughs> That's why he said, it is finished, because the Prince of Glory had died. The atonement had been made. The wrath had been poured out. And now there could be peace between man and his, and his God. That's why the babe was wrapped in swaddling clothes, bandages, like, like you'd wrap a wound with. Why? Because they were saying, this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Why? Because that baby was wrapped in bandages because it was a sign to you that he was born to die. Born to be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and our, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, whoosh, we are healed. That's how he declared a ceasefire. And Romans 5.1 says, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only way. <laughs> There's no peace through a church. There's no peace because you showed up today. That doesn't get you peace with God. If you showed up every Sunday for the rest of your life, that wouldn't get you peace with God. I can't give you peace with God. Nobody can give you peace with God. Jesus Christ made that peace possible. Amen. Have you signed the peace treaty? Written in his blood? Is your name there? <laughs> Number two, go to John chapter 14. First way he made peace possible was he made peace possible because he declared a ceasefire between man and God. Number two, Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace because now that we know him, 
Now, now we're on the winning side if we're saved. If you're saved, say amen. amen. Right? Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace because he delivered to us our marching orders. Amen. He's delivered to us now our marching orders. He's told us now what we're supposed to do. That's supposed to bring us peace. See John 14, 26? He says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. The comforter, he's saying, is going to come. That's the Holy Spirit. And he's going to tell us everything Jesus Christ wanted his disciples to know. Hallelujah. Thank the Lord. Now I know what I'm supposed to do. I was an enemy. Now I'm on the winning side. And I've got a manual. I've got a field handbook. And now I know how I'm supposed to live this Christian life, fight this good fight of faith, run this race. I don't have to be in the dark anymore. I don't have to wonder anymore. I don't have to pine away at night anymore. I know what I'm supposed to know because God revealed it to me by his spirit in his words. That's supposed to give me peace, right? You know, after you sign the peace treaty, you get the terms of reparations, right? They give you the the terms for how to make amends now that you've been fighting. How do you make restitution now that you've been fighting, right? After you made peace with God, the Holy Spirit gave you the terms to renew your life. <laughs> he gave you the terms now. How do you rebuild that marriage? How do you fix that family? How do you get rid of that anger? How do you work on that bad habit? He says, right here in these pages, right here in these wonderful words of life are the marching orders for all the soldiers of the cross given by the Holy Spirit of God to comfort you that now you know the way that you should walk. Right? And somebody that wasn't saved as a kid, somebody that was searching books and reading stuff and looking at philosophy and trying to find where the answer was from the Buddhist monks and the Tony Robbins of the world, and I'm trying to find how do I fix this sin problem, I thank God that he gave me a book that told me everything I needed to know. I'm thankful that God put it down in a book because he knew human beings communicate by words, so he put himself in words so now I don't have to wonder what God thinks and what God wants. That doesn't leave me pining anymore. Now I could just say, let me just crack it open. Are you pining? When was the last time you cracked it open? Are the pages stuck together? That's maybe why you're stuck somewhere in your life. Maybe the pages are stuck together and you need to crack some of those open so you can get some breakthroughs in your own life. Now, we got some histor his history people here, I know. But the Treaty of Versailles ended World War I. But after the Treaty of Versailles... Germany, who'd you know, been a major player in World War I. Chris, don't correct me if I'm wrong. Let me just pretend like I know what I'm talking about. But Germany was told to pay $33 billion in reparations. That's a lot of money. Congress doesn't think it's a lot of money, but that's actually a lot of money, right? $33 billion. And those terms of reparation that they gave Germany were so grievous and so burdensome that it laid the groundwork for World War II because the Germans were so frustrated, and the Germans were so downtrodden, and the Germans were so like under the world's thumb that finally this little guy with a mustache came along and said, hey, I'm going to make you the head, not the tail. I'm going to bring in a millennium that you're going to be the kings of the world. And they said, I like the sound of that. You know? And you know what? The reparations that the world gives you are burdensome. They're cumbersome. They're heavy. Keep this rule, do that, be good on this day, do this, give that. It's like you got all these plates you're spinning and you're hoping at the end of your life that you did enough good to possibly make God happy, but you'll never know for sure. The terms of reparation between you and God are liberating. He says, he shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. He said, hey, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm not putting anything on you. I'm taking some stuff from you. I'm saying you can walk at liberty now because you seek his precepts. God makes you free with his terms. You see what he says there in John 14? In verse 26, he says, the comfort is going to come. And then verse 27, he says, you're going to have peace because the comforter would give the disciples God's words to leave us peace. This book is supposed to produce Peace. I know it bothers you, but it's supposed to be like medicine that leads you to peace. Comfort. Romans 15, 4 says, the patience and comfort of the scriptures. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4. Look over there. 
1 Thessalonians 4. He's the prince of peace because he declared the ceasefire and he told us what we're supposed to do now, how we're supposed to live now. 1 Thessalonians 4.15. 1 Thessalonians 4.15 says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. Right? And he goes into this beautiful treatise about the rapture that I'm not going to read right now because a lot of you know it. You can read it to yourself. But you see where it starts? He says, this is the word of the Lord. God wants you to know this. God wants to reveal this to you. I want to tell you this now. Why? Because in verse 18, that you can comfort one another with these words. <laughs> That's what God's trying to do. God's trying to give you God's words through God's Holy Spirit to comfort you, to bring that peace upon you, to kind of pour in that oil and wine to help heal you. You know what somebody said one time? When life beats you down, open up your Bible. When life beats you down, open up your Bible. But we don't do that. We think, as soon as I make it out of this storm, then I'll get back to church. As soon as I make it out of this difficult time, then, oh, I can't go to church now. When you say that, that's exactly when you need to go to church. When you say, well, I can't read the Bible now, that's exactly when you need to read the Bible. Well, I can't pray now, that's exactly when you need to pray something. When everything in your flesh and your circumstances are screaming, do it on your own, you'll be okay. Just put your head down, son, and push through. That's exactly when you have to stop and say la and open up the Bible. When you're drowning, reach for the life preserver. Reach for the life preserver. Hey, if you're in a storm, the only thing that calmed the storm for the disciples was one man, Jesus Christ, saying, peace be still. And when he spoke those words, there was a great calm. So all your rowing and all your effort and all your, if I could just get to the other side, then I'll get right with God. If I could just get to the other side, then I'll just, I'll get back to church. I'll make things right. I'll start reading. No, no, no. In the middle of the storm, you need the Savior to stand up and say something to you. And that's where you need the calm. That's where you need the peace. That's where you need the word. Peace, be still. Spurgeon said, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. Doesn't mean you don't cry. Doesn't mean you don't have tear stains on that Bible. Just means you got a rock that you can resort to. But look at 1 Thessalonians 2. You're in the neighborhood. Look at chapter 2 and look at verse 13. 2.13. The Bible says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. The scriptures are amazing, but they only work when you believe them, when you appropriate them, when you rest in them. Can I ask you a question? And you don't need to answer out loud. You can if you want. But do you believe this book? Amen. I know some of you might know this book. But do you believe this book? I know Jesus is God manifest in the flesh, but do you believe that? I know Jesus went to a cross. I get it. I read about that. But do you believe that? Do you rest in that? Are you leaning on that? Do you find solace? Is it real enough that you could stand on that? Romans 8.28 says, All things work together for good. But that amazing verse doesn't work if you don't believe it. You don't get any peace out of it if you don't lay hold of it. Yesterday, came home from tracting. See, everything in my life becomes a sermon illustration. I come home from tracting. My wife pulls up after me. She was doing some shopping. And she goes, honey, you got a nail in your tire. And I smiled. I said, how? No, I didn't. <laughs> I said, really? And I went outside. It's in the sidewall. And then Eli reminded me what I already knew. He's like, you know, they can't fix a, hole, a nail on the sidewall. I said, I, I didn't even answer. I don't think I answered. I said, yeah, I know. I'm like, I know. I know if a nail's in the sidewall, you can't really repair the tire. So I get on the phone. I call Mavis, and I'm going to bring the tire in and you know, do that thing. You know, and, um, and I'm, I'm so happy while I'm doing it <laughs> the whole time. I'm like, I have nothing to do. The message isn't finished. You know, nothing's, nothing's done. So I'm doing that, and, you know, I pull it in there at uh, 3 o'clock because the guy on the phone said make an appointment at 3 o'clock. And then I show up and he says, well, you know, there's not really any appointments. I said, oh, good, even better. So 
let me leave the car here and I'll go home and uh, go back to this message that I'm trying to wrestle God with about. And then he calls back up and he says what I know he's going to say. You know, uh, you, you can't fix the tire. I said, got it, got it. Um, I said, well, you know, you got something you can put on it. You know, it's just, you know, because I, I really wanted to spend a few hundred dollars right before Christmas. So do you have anything that you could take care of? He goes, you know what? Actually, he goes, you know what? There's a safety recall on your tires. He goes, your tires are actually are dangerous to drive. He goes, they're actually, uh, uh, and he's reading the thing to me that the, uh, the sidewalls can spontaneously burst off and cause rapid deflation. So I said, oh, that's not good. So he goes, you know, just find, you know, find a dealer in the area that's got the tires and they should be able to. So I went online. So after the holiday, I'll, I'll, I'll find there's some people nearby. But you know what? If I don't believe Romans 8.28, I get no peace. Because I can look at that two ways. Oh, a tire, a nail on my tire. I can't drive the car. Or I can say, wow, God, if that nail wasn't in that tire, I never would have taken the tires off the car. And they've been driving around somewhere and had like three or four blowouts at the same time. I don't know. You see, all things work together for good. And I heard that verse in my head, but it didn't do me any good if I didn't believe it, if I didn't lay hold of it, if I didn't claim it and say, you know what, Lord, you're right. This is, it's not good. I don't enjoy it, but it works together for good, right? Now, tomorrow or Tuesday afternoon when I'm, when I'm, just remind me of Romans 8, 28 again, right? But that's, you know, here's another one. I can do all things through Christ, Philippians 4, 13, Great verse, but it doesn't strengthen you if you won't trust it, if you don't lay hold of it, if you don't believe it, if you don't, you know, appropriate it. Look at Romans chapter 15. Look at Romans 15. You've got to believe the Bible to get the peace that the Bible has for you. If it's just words, it's just going to be words. But if it's truth from God that you could stand on, then you can get some peace. Romans chapter 15, verse number 13. The Bible says, uh-oh, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. This book won't produce the peace it can if you refuse to rest in its promises. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. And if the Prince of Peace gave you his marching orders, all that's left to do is trust me. Just trust me. Oh, God. It's it. Just trust me. That's it. Oh, but that's it. That's it. Yesterday, my wife's out. The guy, of course, when my wife goes out, I'm like, you know, you're going to go out, honey, and they're going to call me to pick up the car. And that's exactly what happened. So it's like 4.15. She's in Manalapan. I'm in Matawan. The station's in Aberdeen. It's Saturday before Christmas. I know how Route 9 is. And I'm like, you know, catastrophizing. I'm like, you're not going to get back in time. No, I'm going to get back in time. You know, she got back in time because my wife's always right. But my wife's like, I'll be there in time. When I refused to trust her, you know what happened? It ruined my peace. Got my stomach in knots. Got me, oh, the car. I got to get the, I got the, I got the nursery stuff in the back of the car. Like my mind is thinking all this stuff. How am I going to, they're going to lock the car up. I don't have to go there in the morning, blah, 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 blah. But she made it back. You know, I, she actually, I, she stopped me. She said, I'm going to get back on time. And she was right. And when I just stopped fretting and started trusting, you know what it produced? Peace. <laughs> A little bit of Selah. Now, my wife's the fourth part of the Trinity. I love her to death. But She's not Jesus Christ. And the Prince of Peace, the Bible says, cannot lie. His words always come true. He's always right on time. So if he told you something and it always comes true, all that's left for you to do is just rest. Stop ruining your peace by fretting. Stop ruining your peace by not believing. Just let God fill you with all joy and peace in believing because the word is supposed to produce peace. Look at Romans 8. I'm hurrying here. Don't worry. I'm hurrying. Romans 8. All right. Romans 8, 5. The Bible says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. It's killing you guys. But to be spiritually minded is life and 
peace. If you thought about the spiritual things that the Holy Spirit gave you more, you'd have more peace. If you thought more about this book than you did the news or social media or anything else you want to fill in the blanks, you know what you'd have? You'd have more peace. Not more. You wouldn't be more entrapped. Oh, you've got to get out of that book. It's barbaric. It's Neanderthal. It's provincial. It's just trying to limit your view. No, no, no. When you enter this, it's liberating. It produces peace. And if the Prince of Peace, the Commander of Peace, ordered you to think on these things, what are you thinking about all day? Don't answer out loud, but what are you thinking about? Besides the visions of sugar plums dancing in your head. I mean, besides that, what's going on up there? What's filling up the space? What's filling up the ear between the ears? What's your head space full of? I got this, I got that. What if this happens and that happens and I want to go here, I want to go there, and my life, my plans, Israel, Middle East. Hey, we're on the winning side. If you're saved, we win. We win. And you are what you think. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So what are you thinking about? Oh, I'm never going to be good enough. I don't have enough time for this. Hey, how about the fact that Jesus Christ is with you always? How about the fact that he says he'd be not far from every one of us? How about the fact that he's a very present help in trouble? How about the fact that he's a great Savior, a great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ? How about the fact that he says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord? How about the fact that he knows your cry before you even call upon him? How about the fact that he's with you unto the end, even to the end of the world? How about all those facts? instead of the feelings that rise up and fill your mind. You know, when the Word was made flesh, there was no room for Him in the inn. There was no room for the Word in the inn. Is there any room for the Word in you? Any room for it in you? You're like, going through this tizzy. You know the Bible says? Oh, I know what the Bible says. Do you really know what the Bible says? The Bible's got some balm and Gilead for you. You fill your mind with God's Word, and you'll have no room for Satan's lies. So what are you full of today? Because you're all full of it. What are you full of? Finally, and briefly, finally, Romans chapter 5. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace because he, he, delivered, he declared a ceasefire. Because he delivered to us our marching orders. And finally, Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace because he designed a way for us to communicate with headquarters. He made a way that now you can talk to God whenever you need to. If a soldier is on the battlefield, and I've never been in war, and I won't pretend that I've ever been in war, but what I've read and what I know a little bit, if a soldier has no way to communicate with headquarters, he's got no peace. Where do I go? Where's the enemy advancing? What, you know, what maneuvers should we pull? Where do we flank? Where do we turn? Where do we march? Where do we go? We're surrounded. We're stranded. What's going on? Right? If he can't communicate with headquarters, he's lost. And Romans 5.1 says, being justified by faith, faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You know what our peace treaty with God did? It came with a new access to God. It says, you made peace with me, here's what I'm going to throw in as part of the deal. And when you got saved, you got in Christ, you got in the Son, and you became a son yourself. And Ephesians 3.12 says, if you want to flip over to Ephesians 3.12, I got two verses left. Ephesians 3.12, I think. Ephesians 3.12 says, Ephesians 3.12 says, we have in whom, meaning Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. The Prince of Peace went first. The Commander went first. And the Prince of Peace made the way for us to get in and have access to God. We could walk into the throne room now because Jesus Christ went first. Because the Prince of Peace made the way, we've got access. We get in on His credit. We get in on His good graces. We get in because of Him, not because of us. God doesn't hear your prayer because of you. God hears your prayer because of Christ. And if you're in him, you've got access. It's all about access. That's some serious access. Jesus said, I am the door. By me, if any man, John Calvin, any man enter in, he shall be saved 
and shall go in and out and find pasture. Jesus Christ says, I'm the door. But you don't have to just come once. You come once to get saved, and then you're in the family. You come in anytime you need to. You come in and out, and you get whatever you got to get out of the kitchen. You get yourself some pasture. Get yourself some eats. You know, just come in, whatever you need. Whenever you need. Why? Because of the access he gave us. You ever wonder why the Son of God was born among cattle and poverty sore, like the, like the song says? Why was he born there? It wasn't by accident. Why was he born in a palace if he were the king of kings? Okay, why was he born on a mountaintop or in some rough terrain? No, he died or was born where he was born to illustrate our access to him. Right down where even the beasts could get him. Even a bunch of animals like us could get close to God through Jesus Christ. I think about that scene around that manger. You know what? There must have been some donkeys around that manger. You know why there were some donkeys around that manger? Because a lot of us are stubborn you-know-whats. And God says, you know, even a stubborn you-know-what can get close to me and get guidance from me so I don't have to break his neck. God, if you're stubborn, you've been stubborn, you've been a real you-know-what, like a donkey, you know what? You can get real close to the Savior and get guidance. You know what else is probably around that, that, that manger? Some oxen. Oxen probably near that Savior. You know what oxen were? Beasts of burden. They carried things. You know what I think about? He had oxen around that manger because we're all bearing burdens like those oxen. But you know what he did? He got born right in the middle of them to show you, hey, you carrying any burdens today? You can get close to the Savior and leave them at the foot of a bloodstained cross. You know what else was around that, that manger? Definitely some sheep. Because all we like sheep have gone astray. And God says, it's okay. I'm right down here in the midst of you. I could lead you. I could guide you. I could be your shepherd. He was born right down on the ground among animals because he knew who we were and we had to get down there. And that's how we got access to him. We got access to him. All those beasts could come boldly unto the throne of grace. I'm sorry. All those beasts could come boldly unto the bed of our newborn Savior. They had access. And we can come boldly unto the throne of grace of our risen Savior. No, we get there, we get peace. I know there's some donkeys in this audience. There's some real stubborn you-know-whats. My goodness, some of you are like stubborn like rebar, you know? You know, rebar that you remember to put in the basketball court, right? Some of you are just so stubborn and just stubborn as rebar and concrete, and you're just stubborn. But God says, that's okay. You can come. You can come. I could guide you. Some of you are bearing burdens that would crush other people. God says, just, you can get to me and just leave them. At the, just leave them here. Leave them here. Some of you are just like sheep. Dumb, stupid animals. They walk off a cliff if the person in front of them walked off a cliff. That's all right. I'll lead you. I'll guide you. We can come boldly. Two last verses. Philippians 4. Philippians 4. All right. Philippians 4. Right? Philippians 4. Philippians 4, verse 6. Philippians 4, 6 is a command. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. We can communicate now with headquarters about everything. He says, be careful for nothing. You can talk to me about everything. We got some guys walking around the hallway with these radios, right? And they need to talk to each other. They don't talk to each other all the time. Only if they need to. God says, no, no, you can radio me anytime. Morning, noon, night, in a crowd, by yourself, alone, in a room this size. You can, if you're safe, you got that access, you can, Father, I'm a little nervous right now, Father. Hey, Father. I got this thing coming up in my life. I'm a little worried about it, Father. Father, you know, I got some family that's sick. I'm going to see them today and tomorrow. I don't know if I could bring the gospel to them. Could you make a way? You can just radio into headquarters whenever you want and just reach out whenever you want. God says, hey, be careful for nothing. The doors are wide open. What are you holding on to? What's on your mind? What's on your mind? Besides, when am I going to be done? What's on your mind? Father, help him land the plane, Father. Help him land the plane. <laughs> What's on your mind? 
If there's something on your mind, who are you going to tell it to? So you're going to gossip it to somebody else? Or you're going to, Father, I need some help with this. Father, I'm troubled. I'm troubled, Father. And he, he's on the other end of that line. Copy. You know, copy that. Copy that. He always copy. I got you. I got you. I'm here. I'm listening. I'm listening. Roger that. Copy that. He's always listening. And you know the fact that you know he's always listening? You know what it produces in verse number seven? And the peace of God which passeth understand, all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If you don't need to worry about anything, isn't that a, what a thought. If you don't need to worry about anything, you know what that produces? Peace. What if every time something came up, Father, you start calling out to him all the time. You call upon him as long as you live instead of trying to do it yourself. If you really did that, if you really believed that verse and put faith to that verse, that be careful for nothing, which means don't worry about anything. If you really lived that verse, you'd start to have some peace in your life and peace in your walk. Go to Matthew 1. Matthew 1. Let's read a Christmas verse before you, just to trick you that you thought it was a Christmas message. Matthew 1. All right? Say, you told me to come, it's Christmas Eve, and this guy's talking about war and talking about this. Well, let me put this in here. Matthew 1.23. Matthew 1.23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. The Savior that was born was called God with us. You ever wonder what's in that name? Well, it means he became a man. Yeah, yeah, I know. But he was, he's with us. You know? Pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. He's with us. You know, if I say, hey, I'm for you. You know? Aaron Cologne very graciously came out to my son's wrestling match the other day. You know why? To just say, hey, I'm with you, man. I'm for you. You know what they did? That encouraged him. To know that somebody was rooting for him. Somebody was on his side. God is with us. God is on our side. God wants the best for us. He's with us. He, I know it means he lived and dwelled in flesh, but he did that because he wants the best for us. So if you know that he wants the best for us, why won't you talk to him? If you know he wants the best for you, why won't you? If you knew that the almighty God, the creator of the world is with us, if you knew God is on your side, why aren't you calling upon him more? Why aren't you resting more? Why aren't you believing him more? Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. When's the last time you touched base with HQ and you wonder why you're fretting? MacArthur said, the soldier above all other people prays for peace. For he must suffer and bear the deepest wounds and scars of war. You know, Christ's disciples are those soldiers. And we're the ones that need peace more than anybody. Because we're in a troubled world. <laughs> and stuff troubles us. But Jesus said in John 14, peace I leave with you. Not everybody, but you disciples. My peace I give unto you, not as the world Giveth. The Prince of Peace does not give peace like the world. The Prince of Peace says you're at war with God because of your sin. You know what the world says? It's not a big deal. He's just a crazy Italian. That's just an archaic book. Just, you'll be fine. Have a candy cane. You'll be fine. The Bible says you better be reconciled. You better get saved. You better get saved and be reconciled to God. He says, I beseech you, be ye reconciled to God. The Prince of Peace says, hey, I gave you my marching orders. You know what the world says? Oh, just listen to your heart. Just listen to thoughts. Just, you know, just figure it out as you go. The Bible says, I've given you everything you need to know. The world says, you don't need to pray. That's madness. You're talking to the ceiling. The Bible says, pray without ceasing. The Bible says, continue in prayer. Hey, which one are you going to believe? Jesus doesn't give peace like the world he does things opposite to the world. So when the, when the Bible says make peace, you better make peace. When the Bible says believe the book, you better believe the book. When the Bible says pray, you better pray. 
Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. If the Prince of Peace is your leader, you don't have to be troubled. And with that, I say, Merry Christmas. Let's bow our heads and have a